Welcome to today's episode. Today we're talking to Celia Pershouse and she is a fourth generation farmer who is interested in making sure that the future generations and our kids can enjoy learning and entertainment through songs and sing-alongs that are related back to the farm and the produce that we all eat and love. Now, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode with Scylla. Now let's take a short break in today's episode to give a shout out to the today's supportive link. Survival First Aid Kits. They are the most responsive first aid kits in Australia. Survival First Aid Kits tick off every item on your first aid checklist, offering fully compliant workplace first aid kits as well as first aid kits for home, car, sport, snake bite, travel and everything in between. Use the discount code the Rural Mum Twelve to get twelve percent off your next order. That's the Rural Mum Twelve. Now back to today's episode. So, Silla, welcome to the farm. Start by introducing yourself, your family, and your background. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Silla Pershouse. I'm from Bam Bam Springs in Queensland. We've got a grazing property with cattle. Um, my husband and I have three uh, preschool age beautiful children um, that we're raising together and my background is from beef cattle and I also studied as a performing artist and worked as a performing artist for several years before moving back to Yes, so I worked in, I grew up on our family grazing property, went to the city to pursue a career in performing arts and worked in performing arts for many years and then came back to the farm and met my husband and got married and ah, it's been a bit of a role, a bit a bit of a busy life ever since. Yes. And you mentioned you have three kids in preschool mm-hmm. or preschool age. So tell me a bit more about that. Yeah. So um our eldest has just turned five. So yep. we've got two girls and a little boy. And yeah, so they're all fairly close together, all um yeah, three under five. So keeps me very, very busy, but obviously the best thing I've ever done, most beautiful thing I've ever done. Um, and now we're at the stage where our eldest is prep age next year. So I'm looking at homeschool options or education options for her and going down that road, which is a tricky one. Here we are. We're already at school age. You think, oh, it's so much in the future. I won't have to worry about that and then, ha, ah, hello, um, here we are. So, yeah, that's I'm a little bit in that headspace at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so, Scylla, tell me a little bit about um, being a fourth-generation grazier and then come, like the round circle of coming back on farm where mm-hmm. you are now. Mm. Yeah, so it's something that I always absolutely took for granted my childhood. I had the most beautiful upbringing. I'm one of four kids. I've got two brothers and a sister. Um, We grew up, as you say, on our our fourth generation cattle property. 
um, fairly close to here, so in um, in the North Burnett area. Uh, we were home educated by mum and dad, and that allowed us so much freedom to be part of what was going on on the farm each and every day, to also explore our individual pursuits outside of that. And I just had, looking back, the best childhood. I was yes. so fortunate. And you think, oh, you know, oh, we're so boring. Oh, we're poor. Oh, this, ish, ish. And I always had this beautiful dream to, you know, be a dancer and a singer and all this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I never saw myself living the rest of my life on the farm. And so I went off and pursued this career and put a lot of time and energy and passion into becoming that, you know, the dancer, the singer, the actor and, and travelling all over Australia following that dream. But the funny thing that happened was that the further I got away from home, the stronger my identity as a person from the bush and a primary producer became. And it was very funny. So it was the 10 years that I was away. And I used to, at the beginning, I used to pretend that I wasn't from a farm because, you know, it's getting better now and farmers are viewed in a more positive light. People from the land are actually, you know, admired, I feel, becoming more so. But there has been a time when people from the land dismissed as, you know, kind of lowly, kind of lowly people who were just not good enough to live in the city or something. Yep. So I pretended I wasn't from a farm. <laughs> I just, I just left that part out uh, because I just was like, I didn't see myself as that. That was at the beginning. But the further I went along, the more I was annoyed by how little people knew about people on the land and how great they are and how giving of themselves to others, to the land, to the future generations. And I was like, this ain't quite right. Like I started to become and realise as you get older, of course, how fortunate you were and how brilliant your parents were at offering you the opportunities in this gorgeous, idyllic upbringing that I had. I was like, huh, who's this sport little brat now? Like I just was like, hmm, there was a real good eye-opener for me because if I had never gone and had that experience, I wouldn't feel the passion that I feel now for representing who we are and what we do because I've seen people view us in the wrong light from making assumptions from something that they've seen or heard that is pure bullshit, you know, and how there's so much innovation and passion and hard-working people on the land who are just kicking goals and I'm so proud of them and I want people in the city to see that and be proud of them as well um, so the further I got along in my city journey the further I got away from home the more homesick I got and in 2013 I was living in Sydney I was working in corporate performing arts and then working in a call centre during the day because it costs a million dollars 
a day to live in Sydney. So I was like, like on the hamster wheel, like, oh yeah, Sydney, woohoo, ha ha. And I just hit the wall. I was like, well, I went home for Christmas and I never went back. Yeah. I went back to pick up my things and, and that was it. Although it was just a real shift. Maybe it was me maturing. And from there, the happiest part of my life began because I felt it's okay because I felt that who I was was actually the most incredible thing to be, which I yeah. always put second before because you think what you, you know, grass is always greener, all of those type feelings. As I matured and I realised that what I had to begin with was the ultimate goal, like it was the most incredible thing, then it changed my paradigm and I just from there went forward. But what came of that was I was like, well, I can't leave all of my uh, skills and how hard I've worked to develop this art form in being a performing artist and, you know, building up that side of who I am, what I, what I am. Um, so I wanted to use those skills and make a show for children about life on the farm that portrayed farming and farmers and the characters and what we do in a positive light so that I could maybe contribute to changing some perspectives, to build a bit of unity between city and country and to hopefully make a difference and combat some of the things that I saw of the opinions of city people when I was there about people on the land. So yeah. it was kind of a big, big circle, a very um, informative learning journey, um, but one that I wouldn't change. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Sula, when you did meet your husband and you got set up where you are now, what were some of the biggest hurdles and challenges you experienced moving back on farm? Or the biggest adjustments? Biggest adjustments? Yeah, so uh, finding my place in the family structure was mm -hmm. kind of tricky because, I mean, there's a lot of skills that you miss out on or become rusty when you're away for 10 years. Yep. When... Uh, so my brothers were, during that 10 years, at home, working the farm, growing their holdings, increasing their skills, increasing their knowledge. And then for me to dip back in and become part of the family business again, um, I and am still going through that, you know, of the, the readjustment. And there's, there's different things with... Uh, succession planning and being one of four kids and I think that that ultimately was the and that's just for me personally um, what I found difficult because you do feel a little bit inadequate because you did bunk off to the city for so long but now you want to come back and you may you change your mind effectively <laughs> and now want to be part of the family property and everything that we're doing. So, um, yeah, that being integrated back into everything again um, is a work in progress, yeah. Yeah, and Scylla, is that um, a time thing? Do you think it will, will occur over time or is there 
tips and tricks that you're actually or tools you're actually putting into place to help um, with that transition back on fun? Um, I don't know. I just think that um, basically Scott and I are building our own sort of farm and um, because we're our family farm is sort of being looked after. Mum and Dad are still very much active in uh, running parts of the farm and my brother has taken over um, the, the remainder of the farm. So Scott and I are sort of setting up on our own, um, obviously with the support and help of, of Mum and Dad and our, my brothers are always really supportive. So, um, yeah, we're sort of a little breakaway component of the original family business. So uh, it's just... A lot of hard work but you know what it's always everything on the land hey yeah it's what makes it worth it at the end of the day oh my gosh so I was just gonna say that <laughs> though the things that you absolutely work the hardest for oh it's just such a sense of reward and you enjoy that so much more um than anything else so there's something in that I think yeah one of my first interviews was with a lady called Courtney Tell, who's from a um, a farm here in Dubbo, near where I am. Yes. And my favourite takeaway from her interview is hard doesn't necessarily mean bad. Oh. So hard can still be good. It's just oh. it's just that it's hard. <laughs> I, I love that. Think, I think that's that's key. And the most rewarding things that come, and the best feeling of success actually comes after a grueling journey to get there, one where you may have failed more than once <laughs> along the way. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally in line with that. Yeah. What keeps you motivated that's still going and uh, giving that a go time and time again? I absolutely love it. I don't see – so somehow it's in your DNA, like it's part of you. Like at the moment we've got – cattle prices that have just fallen through the floor and it's just heartbreaking yeah. but I love those cows I just I go out there every day and I feed them because they're like they need this at this time and it's backbreaking work and it's so time consuming and it's costing the earth but I just love it it makes me tick so I can't see myself not doing that so that's why you line up for it every day and you keep on doing it time after time. We're very lucky in that um, my husband, Scott, works off-farm. So we do have off-farm income, which at this point in time is pivotal. Like that's the making or breaking of us. Um, so I think that's a really important component that keeps me sort of from freaking out when the financial side of things have gotten really tough um, because the the that income that he brings to the table has, like, we couldn't do without it, basically. Like, yeah. it's mighty. But I think, I mean, it's probably a fairly familiar thing that people are working twice as hard because they're working off-farm as well as on-farm. It's not instead of, it's as well as, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you touched a little bit on your daily chores and, and routines. Mm. So I know that every day on the farm is always different, but yes. can you tell me a little bit about what a day in your life looks like. Yeah, they're a bit of chaos, but 
anyone with three little kids and a farm would know that. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we have um, experienced a very dry spell um, and cattle prices have, the bottom has fallen out of the cattle prices. So we're holding cattle that we would normally have sold to market by now. So at the moment, I am um, feeding out lick every few days, dry lick to an established uh, breeder mob that I have um, a little way from here. And then I'm actually feeding out um, grain and palm kernel meal to um, in the paddock as well, just as a supplementary feed to keep the cattle going. So that's each and every day. Um, and, um, and doing a water run and checking at the moment. And then, so I try and do that. The kids come with me. So I strap them in the buggy. We go and feed up do the rounds, check everything, make sure the dam is still holding. Like, It's a little part of our routine. And so by yes. the time we've finished that, we come back in and we settle in at about 10 a.m. and a bit of playtime, get a few chores done. And then the rest of the day just seems to slip away from there. But the, then you're, you're feeding and then my kids still have a nap, the younger two particularly still have a nap. By the time we emerge again, um, it's the afternoon. But I also have... Um, a team of beautiful working dogs who I spend a bit of time with. And, again, that's a thing that um, the kids can do with me also. So I'm training some pups, so I'll usually take a pup with us and where there's some stock who are calm and safe to give that pup a little bit of exposure to the, the stock when we're out and about. I'll try and incorporate that into our daily routine. Sometimes it's the first thing to go when I get stressed and busy. Um, outside of that, um, two days a week I'm teaching at our local, tiny little local schools, um, doing a theatre and music program for those communities for, for school-age kids, so, well, primary school-age kids. So um, I have a babysitter who helps me with the kids on those days who I couldn't live without. Um, and sometimes it's a real struggle because you have to completely disconnect from everything that's going on on the farm, get your teacher hat on, go in with a good energy, but you know what? It's an absolute cup-filling experience for me because you just... I think children are brilliant and offering them a creative space. Um, we're writing our own songs and theatre pieces at the moment and they're just so clever. Um, so I'm really inspired by them. We're telling stories of natural disasters at the moment. Um, and this week we've had, well, we're in drought and we've had bushfires. So they've got a lot to draw on. Um, so that's something that's really good for me and really important because this is the main thing that I have struggled with since having particularly my third child is who am I? Like, you go from being a professional, you know, put together, organised person to a complete mess that hasn't been to town in however long, doesn't want to go because it's too much trouble. Um, so it's helped me to reconnect with my creativity and what I can bring to the table. Outside of being a farmer and a mum. So, yeah. yeah, it's been really lovely. That's really, really good. Mm. 
I haven't been able to normally. Um, so my children's program is called Blue Gum Farm TV. Normally, um, during any given year, we would be touring a lot. Um, so, uh, and we tour at the moment regional and remote Queensland. So that's our leg at the moment. Um, we've views to go outside of Queensland, but at this moment, Queensland is doing us, you know, pretty well. Um, but so <laughs> had one baby, continued touring, had two babies. Oh, yep. Okay. Can still do this. Had a third baby. Game over. I'm not going anywhere for a year, at least a year. So um, I have been less time on the road um, since Sydney, our little baby boy was born. Um, so yeah, just a big readjustment really of uh, understanding what I can and can't achieve um, and being happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is definitely um, a big challenge and something that we all try and, and balance <laughs> as we adjust. So oh. I just want to go back and ask a little bit about um farm organization when you're going away so is there anything that you put into place specifically when you are going on tour and leaving the farm that ensures that it runs smoothly uh, yes. while you're out and about and everything's still happy and healthy and it's got yes. food and water yes so basically my tours have to be structured around when is actually a good time to leave the farm yes so um obviously I would not be able to go anywhere um, at the moment because I'm feeding out every day and that's not something that I can I'd have to hire someone full-time to do that for me because Scott's not able to do it he's away to work each day so um, yes that's a very 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 good question um, that I have to structure it around so normally I will tour in um, autumn and spring and those are particularly uh, well historically have been pretty good times like the water situation is good the body of feed has been um, no worries at all so I'm able to just set and forget and I only ever tour for um, around 10 days at a time yeah um, in any one leg um, so Really, it's governed by um, how long I can leave the farm for. And obviously, all of the, you know, the chooks and the dogs and the horses and everything, Scott looks after those um, while we're away. Just more jobs for him when he gets home every day. Um, but, yeah, as far as any of the cattle and stock work goes, we have to just schedule it around or schedule the tours around, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, and um, now that you've got the kids there on the farm with you, what are the things that you get organised for the kids? Do they stay at home or do they come with you on tour? Mm. Yep, they've always come with me. Yep. Um, which, like I said, gets trickier and trickier the more babies you have. Um, so after uh, my first baby, we pretty much have to have an extra crew person just to be on baby duty. Yeah. Um, because while I'm unavailable, distracted, busy, I need someone to really be able to look after them 
uh, to look after me, really, because yep. while they're happy, I'm happy, and I can concentrate and focus. So um, they really quite enjoy it. I'm lucky in that I produce a children's show, and it's catered directly to this age group. So it's like having their very own real-life um, kids' show that they they live um, part of. So they love it. And um, I work with a crew of gorgeous performing artists, but they're all women. So um, they're surrounded by these aunties who just adore them. So, you know, it's heaven for them. They get all the attention and love and it's interesting and we're visiting different places and seeing different people. So um, it's quite a good environment for them to be part of. And my thing is, my rule is, if I can't do it with my kids, I can't do it. Yeah. Because I I can't deal with being away from them. Um, I've never really had to or wanted to or whatever, but I just want them, whatever I'm doing, I want it to be formulated in a way that they can be part of it. And that's true of every day on the farm and it's true of what I'm doing creatively as well yeah yeah no I 100% understand Mm. that as well yeah yeah it makes it harder as every mum would understand but um it's just how I am programmed I just wouldn't feel I don't know I've just they're a part of me so I just need to (laughs) Take them with you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mm. So, Phil, I did want to go back to um, jobs on the farm. So, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you've got a buggy. Mm. And so, is there anything that you don't leave the house without? Either you know that you're going to use it down the farm mm-hmm. or that you know you're going to need for the kids? <laughs> My buggy, the glove compartment in the buggy is uh, a bit of a, it's kind of funny, but. Um, <laughs> I have to, I've just stocked up on snake bandages. This is a thing that I've decided I can't leave the house without. I've got them stashed in all the vehicles. I've trained the kids to know where they are, be able to reach them if I call to them, need them to bring one or anything like that. Be aware of what they are. We've had a little practice of using them. And this is for us as well as the dogs. Like we have to have first aid on hand for the dogs in case one of them has an injury as well. So uh, that's my main thing, keeping it in the glove box where the kids don't have a party and be doctors while I'm off fixing a fence and then I come back and they're all bandaged <laughs> up. And, um, that does happen, but um, whatever. Otherwise, my the buggy glove compartment is just, chock full of nappies and wipes and yeah and insect repellent yes so repellent's a good one yeah so that's me but really um and water bottles but my kids seriously if we can invent a water bottle that is childproof it sounds really wrong but when you get it's a really fun game to play with the water bottles and tip them all out so when you actually on a 40-degree day and you're parched and you're out in the paddock and you need a drink and someone's made a mud pie with it, where's the, where's the water bottle that they can't get into? Yeah. Um, so sometimes I have to take a 
a water bottle and then stash one as well. So I know that there's actually some water when we need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I usually keep one in the toolbox and the toolbox yeah. is locked. So they can't get into hey, the toolbox. See, there you go. You know this. Oh, <laughs> and the amount of, oh, they're so fun to play with water bottles, apparently. And then the amount that get hoiked out and you don't know and you come driving down the paddock, hey, how did that get the, who chucked that out? And yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, I had to take the handles off mine because the kids would find it really funny to like spin the water bottle by the handle and then like use it like a, a slingshot and like or throw it. Nunchuck. Nunchuck. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Never mind um, like doinking your nine month old <laughs> sister in the head with it as well. Like that's that's where mine would be at. Oh, this is fun. Kunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, Phil, you've mentioned fires a couple of times during the interview. So is there any fire preparation that you do pre-summer? Um, like, I know we're not quite summer yet, but in, oh. say for this season, for pre-spring, pre-summer, um, and then anything that you do in the other months to help preparedness for that? Uh, yeah, well, we've just had terrible bushfires started by dry storms like lightning strikes with no water um so not this week just go on the one previous there was five days consecutively where everyone in the district was out night and day fighting bushfires um so we usually use uh, a pushed fire break as well as control burning in when it's appropriate to try and reduce the uh the load um but yeah, we live, we back on to the Seven Sisters, which is an incredibly rugged and vast mountainous range. So really, um, it's difficult. And even the best preparation, sometimes you still fall in the soup. So um, yeah, tricky one. But even myself, like just me and the kids. So I was at the homestead, everyone else was out fighting fires. But I don't really know what was my plan for the homestead. Like, it didn't come close to the house. But um, I was thinking to myself, hmm, okay, girl, what's your plan here if you need to get out? Because there was a notice to leave at one stage um, for this area that was, you know, it was short-lived because it came under control um, fairly quickly. But it's something that... Until it's really at your doorstep, you don't take it seriously enough to make a plan, have that packed, have this organised, tell people what your plan is, all this sort of thing. Because I couldn't really contact a lot of the people closest to me were out of mobile range because they're up, you know, fighting the fire. So, yeah, it was fairly scary. But it brings into focus how important it is. It, like, it sounds so... Um, you know, cliche to, ooh, have a plan and be prepared. Have a plan, be prepared. You yep. know, this do the work. <laughs> do the stuff. Do the stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was a good lesson for me. Yeah. So do you have one now? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. And have so, you practised it? <laughs> um, well, that's one thing I need to do with the kids, actually, because, in you know, at kindy they do a fire evacuation, they do a emergency drill, um, that's what I need to do with my kids also. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. We have a container 
and I yeah. say to everyone, this is the container. Yeah, don't yeah. leave the house with this without this container. <laughs> yeah, 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 really good. See, you're organised. Mm. <laughs> you do have to think about it and be in that situation to make yes. sure your ducks are in a line, though. But that's <laughs> absolutely right. It needs to be brought into focus because outside of that, you're too busy for anything, so you just don't do it. But that's the perfect storm. Like, that's exactly the wrong way to go about it kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching us on YouTube, please make sure that you have a fire preparedness plan. Mm. Put it into place and please practice it. <laughs> mm. And the same goes for flooding. Um, like, you can have a lot of the same elements incorporated into your flood preparedness plan because really it's something encroaching on you, your safety that could cut you off from leaving or, you know, have you trapped in a certain space for an amount of time. Very similar um, sort of plan, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So, Scylla, is there any advice, tips, tricks, hacks or stories you'd like to share with the Raw Mum community about moving to the farm or back to the farm for the first time that you think that they would find very helpful? Mm. I don't know if I've got any magic bullets, special potion or startup sprinkles, but my the main thing that has really got me through um, the really difficult times is connecting with my community, connecting with other people who want the best for you and with other mums particularly because that's my own situation. They just get you. They just understand. They can see you and know what you're going through without any words being spoken. Um, And that is something that as human beings, as mums, as wives, that really is the magic potion because that can take you from a place of despair, of feeling hopeless, of feeling isolated and lonely to feeling connected, giving you a purpose because there's a lot of really brilliant community groups that you may not be aware of and they're working hard and being part of that just makes you feel like a better person all around. I don't know how to explain it but um, certainly in my community I'm very, very, very fortunate to have people who want to help me and include me in things and want me to well, want to be part of what I'm doing and want me to be part of what they're doing. And that is the difference for me to being a farmer on the land and a wife and a mum compared to being part of a team and being part of a community. And that gets in, even if you are not a people person or you're not an extrovert or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like these people have been through what you're going through. They understand you. And the really interesting thing is that they want to help you for no reason. And that is the best feeling. So 
it's a bit of a find your tribe thing and it doesn't even have to be your tribe. It's just put yourself out there, be part of something, help somebody and in doing that it helps you and then you'll find or, you know, having someone offer you help or, you know, just kindness just makes the difference and can really turn things around. So whatever it is, whether it's, you know, CWA or a local hall committee or, you know, there's so many different beautiful little community groups that are still happening on the ground. A lot of stuff is online. A lot of stuff is um, connecting via technology. But get back in your community or find your community. And for me, it's made all the difference and I hope that it would for other people too, for other mums, for other people who... Um, want to make a life on the land or are returning to a life on the land, yeah, really get amongst your community, however big or small it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stella, thank you so much for joining us here on the farm. For everyone who's joined us along the way, give a hand to clap for Stella. <laughs> <laughs> So if you enjoy Scylla's story, her tips, tricks and hacks along the way of moving back to the farm, then please follow along and listen to the playlist of other beautiful people sharing their stories and information that may help you move to the farm for the first time. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us.